Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Lawyers from Ohio to India concerned about the malfeasance and possible criminality surrounding the declared COVID pandemic and the experimental vaccines being administered to quell it are filing complaints against government agencies and their top people. Ohio lawyer Tom Renz has been doing this for a while now, and today he's back to talk about a recent complaint he filed in Alabama on behalf of the America's Frontline Doctors Group and, and various vaccine injured victims against the Department of Health and Human Services, against Dr. Fauci and the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, against FDA Commissioner Dr. Janet Woodcock and the FDA, against the CDC, and against the National Institute of Health. For his previous work, Renz has been roundly attacked and called a COVID denier in the press. The courts have been equally hostile. A lawsuit Renz filed against the Ohio Department of Health for imposing unnecessarily draconian lockdowns based on fraudulent PCR testing and more was slammed by the ruling judge as, quote, a jumble of alleged facts, conclusory and speculative assertions, allegations, opinions, and articles of dubious provenance and admissibility, close quote. I urge my listeners and viewers to look for a previous whistleblower newsroom interview with Renz titled, quote, protection from pandemic or mass imprisonment, question mark, close quote, so they can decide for themselves how jumbled and unverified Renz's information really is. Meanwhile, Renz has persisted. Last May, he filed a, vac a restraining order against the FDA's emergency use authorization of vaccines for children. Today, we'll get the details on his latest court submission on what has happened with his past efforts, as well as his concerns about virus variants being fraudulently invoked as a rationale for more lockdowns to come. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Christina. Thanks for having me. So your complaint is a roadmap for how things went down who did what, and the damage that has been wrought so far and could be wrought in the future. So what I'd, I'd like you to do is to take us through it so that people can see everything that you were, you've been looking at in this, and, and so that you can also explain what each of these agencies and the heads of these agencies are being charged with in your complaint. So, you know, there's, there's so much that's happened, and this is such a complex web that it took us 113 pages to put it together. Um, you got to understand that this started, and this whole thing is based on the false premise that there was an emergency, right? So we challenge that in here. We've challenged that in state courts, and we're challenging that now on the federal level, and we're, we're doing that. Uh, what we're saying is there is no emergency. And so where do we get that from? And that's, I think, where we're going to start. So we've talked, you and I have talked in the past, and we've talked about uh, the fact that the, the means by which deaths were counted as pertaining to COVID was changed. They changed it. Uh, I mean, this isn't, this isn't disputable. Uh, we have the document from the CDC. They changed it. Okay. How did they change? What were the changes? What were the ch what change was made? So generally speaking, uh, the coroner's handbook, which was last revised in 2003, lays out how cause of death is determined on a national level. 
that governs every cause of death. And the goal in determining a cause of death is to find a real core cause of death. What caused you to die? The reason that's important is so that we can track it, we can learn from it, we can understand it, we can study patterns. There's a lot of value in that. So COVID rolls around and they change it and they say that, you know, if you have any of these symptoms, and there's a list of them, when you're dying and, uh, you know, it could be construed as COVID, we want you to construe it as COVID first. And they outright say in the document that we expect that these changes will result in more things being called COVID than not. They also go on to say that, you know, if you call something a COVID death, we're not going to investigate it. If you don't call something a COVID death, we're going to follow up on it. So this was really a, a bizarre thing. Now you throw that on top of that, the fact that the federal government incentivizes COVID deaths, right? If you call it a COVID death, you get a whole bunch of extra money through the federal government. The amount that you're getting is kind of varied and wavered throughout this, um, but it's a huge amount of money, right? You also get money for treating COVID. So if you're, you got something that looks like it could be COVID, we're going to call it COVID because you get treated for that, right? So the only change to the 2003 coroner's handbook in determining cause of death that's ever occurred was for COVID. So they change us. So what was interesting, yeah, it, in other words, you could have died of something else, but if you had any COVID similar symptoms, or if you had COVID, but that wasn't really what you died of, you would still be called a COVID death. So that inflated the COVID death. But before that, Tom, the Department of Health and Human Services declared a pandemic after the definition of a pandemic was changed. Is that not correct? So that was the first step, right? Talk yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so there was, globally, we had the WHO declare this pandemic and uh, DHHS declared this pandemic. Everybody's declaring this pandemic. And actually, so I started following this disease in January of 2020. And uh, I started following it because it was peculiar, right? We've got this disease out there and it's getting all these headlines. And why is this disease getting these headlines? I mean, we've got a case fatality rate that's not really that high. We've got a reproduction rate, which is not really that high. Reproduction's how fast it spreads. Um, it's really not a remarkable disease in any way, shape, or form. There's tons of other diseases that are far worse that nobody ever pays any attention to, right? Well, well, Dr. Peter Bregan has a book coming out, and I've read the manuscript, and one of the most amazing things that he says is that um, Tedros of the World Health Organization, the head of that, um, he was very reluctant to um, declare a COVID pandemic. And the day after he received 50, and again, this is according to Bregan, alleges that the day after he received $50 million from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a pandemic was declared. And the pandemic, the definition, the difference now is a pandemic is usually uh, declared when there's a huge number of deaths and quick spreading. And so um, the statistics for a number of reasons that we can go into are not, are, are not bearing this out at all. 
but that was the first thing. The first thing was health and human services after the WHO had World Health Organization had said we have a pandemic. They declare a pandemic. Okay. Right. And in with a new brand new definition. Then there's a brand new definition of COVID deaths. And then we have the PCR testing that is chosen by the US government as a means of testing. So let's talk about that. That's the next step. Okay, now everybody's gonna be tested for COVID. Well, and I'm gonna tie this in with one other thing that you and I haven't talked about. And I don't know if you've heard about this because this is brand new. Okay. So the PCR testing, right? is one side of this. The other side is the definition of COVID-19, okay? SARS-CoV-2, the virus, in theory causes the disease COVID-19, right? So if you get enough of this, the way this is viewed in traditional medical science, you get enough of this virus in your blood and it becomes a disease and it makes you sick, right? So they did two things and i, I want to talk about both because i'm going to tie this into something super important a little bit later the uh first of all they included this pcr testing as a means of determining whether or not you have covid 19. well pcr testing cannot determine whether you have covid 19. pcr testing only detects the presence of particles pieces of the virus. So you could have had COVID-19 and be, been recovered. Um, you may never have had COVID-19. All it's checking for is for pieces of the virus. So PCR testing could never and can never actually determine whether you have COVID-19. And and by the way, the inventor of, PC, of the PCR test himself said, this is not a testing, uh, yeah. this is not a test. It's okay. well known. I mean, this is, this isn't, this isn't something that's questionable. We just know that PCR testing doesn't work like that. So, you know, they put this, they use this test to determine whether you have a case that can't actually do that. The other thing they did, which we're starting to see right now, why it's so critically important is they define COVID-19 so broadly that anything can be called COVID-19. So if you live, and this is, this is, right from the CDC. And this is right from, you know, if you go back, I don't think they've changed this yet. If you live in an area where there is continuous ongoing transmission of SARS-CoV-2, which according to the CDC definition is basically everywhere in the country, and you have a cough, you can be diagnosed as a case. You have a so, cough and that's it? Yeah, yes. You have, to have, you have to live in an area with continuous ongoing transmission. That's the epidemiological factor. And then, for example, one of the, uh, the, the medical factors is a cough. So a cough. You have a cough, which could you know, be caused as a side effect from, say, uh, too much uh, smoking. Your, yeah, or you know, any, any of your medicines. You could be rightly diagnosed under the law with COVID-19. So they, they defined this super broadly. Okay, this was, it took me a while to realize what was going on with this, right? It wasn't just the PCR testing, it's also the way that they defined COVID-19. Wow. And let me tell you why this is so important. Fast forward, and I know we're gonna jump over a couple steps here, but I wanna get this out because it fits here. Fast forward to where we are now, we have this, this vaccine out there, right? Um, now this vaccine, we know 
that a ton of doctors are very, very concerned about something called ADE. Yes. ADE is antibody dependent enhancement. So what ADE is essentially, and I'm gonna avoid being a doctor because I'm not, but essentially what happens is you take the vaccine and this is something that has happened. It happened with dengue fever and it, it's a real thing. You take the vaccine and the way that the vaccine works causes your, your own immune system to be suppressed or, or to, to just be goofy when re-exposed to this virus, right? So COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 is out there. That's never gonna change. We know that's out there forever. If you've taken the vaccine, there's a risk that if you're re-exposed to the virus, that because of the way the vaccine impacts your, your immune system, you would be more susceptible to worse symptoms of the virus upon re-exposure. Okay, so you basically, if you get sick with it again, you get far sicker. Now we know that, that this, these vaccines are not designed to prevent transmission. They're designed to reduce symptoms. And people so, don't realize that. People well, don't realize that. Well, it specifically says that in, in the EUA documents from the vaccine manufacturers. So, I mean, this emergency is emergency use authorization uh, documents yeah. say that this is not, this does not, this does not stop uh, transmission. No, no, it does not. It just, it's just designed to reduce symptoms. It only, so, okay. so. Fast forward now. Now we have this very serious threat of ADE. Now ADE has been a very, very big issue historically for this sort of vaccine technology, which is not, by the way, there are no approved mRNA vaccines. This is the first time we've ever gone this route. Right. right. Why? Because they did tests before on animals. I remember there was a ferret test that they did. And the test, again, ADE caused that ferret, all these to die. These ferrets all of them died. died. Every all last of one died. of them. Yep. yep. So they're very concerned about ADE. And everybody that's actually knowledgeable about this and honest knows this is a real threat. God, that's but scary. here's what's going to happen. And this is if there's one thing in this interview that I want to make sure everybody hears, it's this there's a very serious risk of a massive ADE issue this fall. When the cold and flu season rolls back around, every, everyone that's had this vaccine is gonna be at serious risk of ADE. Because they've defined COVID so broadly and because they hide most of their statistics, if there is a major ADE outbreak like we think there's gonna be, and a lot of people are sick and dying, what they're going to do is they're going to, they're not going to report that it's vaccinated people dying. They're going to say, this is a new mutant strain. It's a new mutant variant. And since you guys didn't get the vaccine, you're causing it. There's going to be new lockdowns. Wait, wait, and they're, they're going gonna, to wait. They're going to blame the unvaccinated for it. Oh yeah. Based yeah. on what? Based on what? Because we didn't get the vaccine. So no, but if we didn't get but if we didn't get the vaccine, why are we the purveyors of this thing? Because you can get the vaccine and still get COVID. Even now, lots of people are getting COVID after they've been vaccinated. It, but we, we have every reason to believe 
that the plan is we're going to call it a new mutant variant that was brought about by people who wouldn't be vaccinated. They're not going to tell you the people are dying are vaccinated. So I've got a couple doctors that are running some ICUs in Missouri right now. And, yeah. you know, right now they're talking about this terrible outbreak of the Delta variant in Missouri. Well, I've got doctors in Missouri. You know what they're telling me? What? The only people in the, e in the ICU are people who are vaccinated and who have been re-exposed. Now, I, I can't get hard statistics on this because it's kept secret. It's super under lock and key. But this fall, what I expect to happen, if we don't get the word out, we're going to be in serious trouble. They're going to say there's a new, new mutant strain. Look at all these people dying. What they're not going to tell you is that the people dying are vaccinated. And the new mutant strain isn't a new mutant strain of COVID. It's a vaccine variant. I'm calling it the vaccine victim variant right now. And I want people to be aware when they try and lock you down again this fall, when they try and say, you selfish people who didn't get the vaccine, you're the cause of this. Don't believe them. Do not believe them. If their mouth is open, they're lying. Um, this is what we expect to happen. And that's the only way they can cover up this ADE. It's the only way that, because there's never been long-term studies and the animal studies that they did on previous non-COVID vaccines, which used mRNA, everything died. So, but it all died upon re-exposure. They didn't get the injection and die. They died afterwards. And that's what we're very concerned about happening right now. And given the corruption that we've seen in this and the outright lies, I am exceedingly concerned that, that's, that this is gonna play out. I've heard this on, from several good sources. Uh, this seems to be where it's going. Why do you think they're priming us right now by talking about these dangerous variants? Well, when cold and flu season happens, what do you think is going to happen? So we got to get the word out on this because this fight ain't over. Just because you aren't wearing a mask now doesn't mean there's not plans for this fall. Wait, let me, let me, uh, <laughs> this is so terrifying. I, I'm having a hard time thinking. Um, so you're saying these doctors are already seeing this? these doctors that you were talking about, they're already seeing this and they're documenting it? Well, documenting is another story. I mean, you got to remember, if you speak out about this, you're going to lose your job. No, they should, they, they should at least very quietly document it. They should really, they should do that. They should give you some kind of affidavit or something that says, this is what we're seeing. This is how many patients we've brought in so far and keep you up to date on this, Tom, because this is extremely serious. And if what you need right now is you need the evidence that these people are collecting uh, from their own personal rubber meets the road experience so that later on you can take that to the court and say, okay, you know. There's, there's very few doctors that will speak out about this. So you, want, you look at America's frontline doctors, uh, Lee Bleach, you know, Dr. Bleach, he's getting ready to launch a big organization. Um, the doctors who are working on Peter McCullough, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there, the doctors who are speaking out, they're speaking out and they're, they are doing their best. But, but they're seeing this too. These frontline, frontline doctors are seeing this going on in their practice. Well, has the Delta variant reached their areas, um, the areas of some of these frontline doctors? Uh, the doctors that I have spoken to and it's uh, that have seen this, has said, 
I'm going to quote one of the one of the top doctors I've worked with. The Delta variant is the sniffles. Wow. Okay. Well, so the Delta variant. So what what they're well when you say me, the Delta variant is the sniffles, but you're just you were telling me before that it was deadly. So I don't. No know. no no. ADE is deadly. Okay. Okay. ADE antibody dependent. Enhancement. Oh okay. So it's for us for for anyone who is not vaccinated because i'm not vaccinated right um and it's not that i'm an anti-vax or anything I'm, I'm just not vaccinated i'm fully vaccinated up till the COVID. yeah but um people who are vaccinated are the ones at risk we'll get the syphilis they will have far worse possibly deadly uh symptoms uh, reactions to it they are at the highest risk now we don't know if we're lucky it won't be as bad as some of the doctors are thinking we don't know how bad it's going to be but have have those doctors those i'm trying to understand now those doctors have already seen cases of it we have seen i have several doctors who have given who have told me that they've seen what they can only characterize as severe ade in the icus what i have not had um, I've had doctors from several states that have reported that their ICUs have been busy, but it's all been vaccinated people. And so what's happening is, is if you're, you know, if these people are vaccinated, remember, if they're hospital, unless they're hospitalized or dead, they're not counting breakthrough cases. So we don't know how bad this is. And also remember this, if you've been vaccinated, they're only testing you on the PCR testing at 28 cycles. If you have not been vaccinated and they're testing you for COVID, they're running in the 40 to 45 cycle range. Okay, you need to explain why that's important because uh, I was just going to ask you about the PCR testing and the upcycling yeah. uh, and how even it's it, it creates upcycling creates fraudulent um, test results even the CDC does it. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead and explain. So PCR testing, basically, every when you do a PCR test, you take a sample and you magnify some stuff and you blow it up, right? So you think of it as you, you look at it through your 1x microscope or your 2x microscope or your 3x. And every time you run a cycle, uh, you're blowing it up x amount more, right? Uh, the more you blow something up, the more likely you're going to find a fragment. So remember, PCR testing can't test for disease. It can only look for fragments. So the idea, the theory is, is that the, the lower the number of cycles that you find a fragment, the more likely you are to have a disease, right? right. Because that would mean you probably have more of it in your system. Well, doctors, scientists, everybody knows anything over 25 to 32 cycles-ish is garbage. Fauci even said that. Fauci himself said that. So when what they did was to get as many cases as possible. When they approved the PCR tests, the CDC, the FDA approved them all, most of them in the 40 to 45 cycle range. Oh, yeah. Right. CDC, 40 cycles. Okay. Yep. LabCorp that everybody goes to, 35 cycles. Okay, Quest, another lab place that everybody goes to, uh, 40 cycles. OptiSars, 
45 cycles. I mean, they're all Ren Lab 38 cycles. They're all bogus. Right, but but the CDC knows this. So remember, they were aware of this. So what they did then is they said, well, if you've had the vaccine, you can only test at 28 cycles. Why? If there's a breakthrough case. Oh. Well, because they want, well, because remember, they don't want, they want you to have the feeling that the, that the, the vaccine's not causing this. Oh, so, so if you, if you were tested at 40 cycles or 35 cycles, for sure, you would be sure you would test positive for COVID again. Yeah. 90 plus percent false positive rate, depending on how oh, high it is. False positive, they call it. Yeah. Huh? They call it yeah. false positive now, but in the initial before the vaccines, it's not a false positive. It's a right, right. Oh my God. Oh my God. So this is lie upon lie upon lie. You can tell if Fauci's lie, lying because his mouth is open. Um, you know, it's just a rare instance when he accidentally tells the truth. So a variant. Yeah. yeah. A Fauci variant. So so okay, so so let's let's do this let's see the scenario is first a false pandemic is is created with a uh, new definition okay then we have uh, a new definition of covid and covid uh covid deaths and then we have the pcr testing which is not valid for testing but is the official test and it's done at in a fraudulent way with the upcycling, okay? Then that gives them the emergency use authorization because they say there are no viable options to the upcoming vaccines. And meanwhile, what they've been doing is people who are coming in, whether the flu or COVID, it could, it could be either one, they come in, they're somewhat ill, they send them back home until the people who really have COVID go into the cytokine storm and can't be, uh, can't be saved, okay, with alternative treatments. Then, then next thing you know, people are dying like flies because they were told to go home and they are left untreated. They're dying like flies and this creates all the press you need to show that this is a pandemic. We gotta have those those uh, ventilators, we, you know, Cuomo with his, I need 35,000 ventilators or however many thousand ventilators and people are dying and now people are really getting scared and they can't wait to get this vaccine and so on and so forth. I mean, it's, it's, it's breath, breathtaking in, in how evil, how evil it well, is. Well, and there's more. Right. So let me give you another a little, another little twist on this. Right. Okay. So we have evidence that well over 200,000 deaths that were called COVID deaths were actually flu deaths. So that were miscategorized because remember, COVID was defined so broadly that I mean, and there's a whole bunch of money for you to call it a COVID death. Right. So here's the thing: the pathology, which means the way that this works, you know, once you catch COVID or catch the flu. They're, they're very similar, okay? What, what typically kills you in both cases is pneumonia. Uh, you know, your lungs go bad and you get pneumonia and you die from the pneumonia. So 
whether the flu causes it or COVID causes it, it's a horrible death. Pneumonia is a terrible death. And people are, you know, when the doctors and nurses see it, it's always a horrible thing. Yeah, you can't breathe. You, you no, drown no. in your own, you know, fluid. But, but here's the thing, right? So let's carry this back. We know that, it, that because the CDC, had, they had published and then they hid that there were over 200,000 flu and COVID deaths. So these were probably just flu, flu deaths, right? But we don't normally have that. So why is that? Well, because if you had COVID, they had to say that there's nothing we can do to treat you, go home, which was a lie, okay? So there were, the question I would have is how many preventable flu deaths did we have because we didn't treat them because we were categorizing as COVID? Do you know, do you know one interesting thing about this, I find, is that the treatments, the COVID treatments, the early treatment protocols that have been have shown to work, you know, like the combination of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, Zithromax, and I forget what the other thing, but anyway, the package that that successfully treats COVID could actually put all those flu vaccines out of commission too, because <laughs> it'll work equally well for flu. So why why take a flu vaccine every year, which is a well, we don't know if, if this, you know, we guess this is the variant that uh, this is how the mutation is going to be. So we're going to give you this this vaccine this year. Instead of doing that, you take this package and you get over your flu, you have antibodies and so on. So in a way, I don't know. I wonder if that is going to, when people finally wake up, if that will change the way they deal with uh, handling the flu. Well, and I can tell you a lot about this, right? So here's the deal. First things first, let's talk about hydroxychloroquine, which works very well. You know, but they said causes heart issues. By the way, this, the one study, despite all the studies that have shown HCQ is safe and works well, the one study that they, they published and that the Journal of the American Medical Association would not repudiate was a study done without a proper, proper ethics council and where they, to get so that they could say that this caused heart issues. The people who conducted this study, and I'm not misspeaking, they gave people 2.5 times the lethal dose of hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, they killed people so they could say, yes, they intentionally killed people so that they could say that hydroxychloroquine was not useful. I right. mean, I, again, we are talking about levels of evil that that, and and I'm I'm just waiting. I I just keep thinking about you know when is the justice and accountability going to come, and how these I I don't care how bought off you are as a judge, you have to live in the same country as as you and I are living in. I mean, at some point, this thing is going to come for you too. Well. Let me tell you what else they've done. So you've got these these things where you know we've treated hundreds of thousands of patients using these protocols and none have died, right? Let me tell you about the the vaccine that the, the trick that they're doing with that. Have you heard you've heard 95% effective and this and that and other? Okay, so that is a statistical trick. So what they're talking about is something called relative risk reduction when they say 95% effective. 
So using Pfizer and Moderna and all these people's numbers, when you talk about risk reduction, what most people think of is if I get the vaccine versus another group of people who don't get the vaccine, I'm at you know 95% less risk, right? I mean, that's, that's what makes sense. No, no, that is absolute risk reduction, okay? So when you compare a vaccinated versus unvaccinated person, uh, th that is absolute risk reduction. That's what most people think of. The relative risk reduction is a different comparison, and they can manipulate that comparison to come up with any number they want. That's why they came up with the 95%. The absolute, do you know what the absolute risk reduction is for these vaccines? What? Between 0.7 and 1.2%. It's so, negligible. So not only do they not prevent the, the virus from spreading, you're experimenting on yourself or your children for a solid 1% chance that you'll get a reduction in symptoms. Okay, so hold up now. They're saying 99%? I've seen 95%. I've seen a whole bunch of different numbers. And, and, how, and how do they, because somehow they, they're going to have to explain the difference between absolute and, you know, so how do they explain it? Well, they don't. No one's asked them, right? I mean, so outside of you and media outlets that have the courage to talk about this like you, no one's asking them to explain it. So they aren't telling you that they're using various comparisons rather than comparing it like you think, right? So absolute risk reduction is the redu reduction in risk of a bad outcome versus a, you know, a control group and an uncontrolled group uh, that, that whereas the, the control group would be an unvaccinated group and uh, the other group would be vaccinated or vice versa. So do you get this? That's, un, that's absolute risk reduction. Relative risk reduction, you know, maybe you've got, it, it, it depends on what they do. It's comparison, the, the groups that they're comparing are different and they could make it, under, make, make it up under a in a number of different ways. What's the absolute risk reduction for somebody who is not vaccinated then compared to that of someone who is vaccinated? Because if I have a, an immune system that works, uh, what is my risk? Well, I mean, the general numbers as provided by the manufacturers end up, I believe one was 0.7% absolute risk reduction. I believe one was 1.2 and I can't remember what the other one was off the top of my head. But that's for the vaccinated. Yes, if you get the vaccine, you what are. What if you don't? What if you don't get the vaccine? What is your risk reduction in in relation to those who get vaccinated? Well, there's a one percent difference. Okay. There's a one percent difference either way, whether you are above or below, according to the numbers. Now, I mean, to me, that could, that's, you know, do you really want to roll the dice on this for you know something that hasn't been tested? There's no long-term studies. There's no long-term anything. It's an experiment. And here's another one for you. Children, anyone under 30, according to CDC numbers, is st statistically has a 0% chance of death from COVID-19. Zero, statistically. Wow. Okay. The, the number of people who have died from COVID-19 under 30, according to CDC numbers, is so small that it's statistically zero. So 
the thing is, is you're getting experimented on for what? And we know because the Pfizer, the Pfizer document leaked from Japan shows that you have, I believe, a 64 times higher accumulation of, uh, of vaccine gunk accumulating in your ovaries if you're a woman than uh, you would otherwise see. I mean, you're looking at sterility being a real serious risk. We do know there was just a study that came out that uh, was really interesting because they were talking about the risk of pregnant women being vaccinated. And they they concluded something that I don't is something ridiculous, particularly in light of the fact that I believe 83%, I, I gotta double check the way I'm explaining, but I believe it's 83% of women who received it in the first trimester miscarried. Oh. oh. Um, the, 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 the numbers, the statistics wow. on this are horrifying. We don't know what long-term sterility who's, is going to be. Whose statistics are these? I believe this might have been, this study might have been posted in the New England Journal of Medicine. I'd have to double check. Wow. You know, um, what I find interesting is um, the Salk people, Jonas Salk Foundation or group, whatever, they, they came out with a study on the spike protein. And so I called them up to ask them, I said, oh, I'm, I'm very interested in whether or not the spike protein migrates from where the shot, the um, location of the shot. Yeah. And back and forth, and they finally said, absolutely not, it does not migrate. And now these studies are coming out showing that not only does it do, does the spike protein migrate around, which means, well, it's a pathogen. So it, it causes other problems, um, which we can discuss, but it particularly likes to rest in the testes and um, the ovaries and or placenta. Yes. Yes, there is no question. I mean, so we have the Pfizer study from Japan on this. Okay. I mean, it's not like we're making this up. It's their study, you know? And so we know that this is kind of, it does, it absolutely does leave the vaccine area. It goes all over your body. Um, by the way, there's a, there's an interesting thing going on. So have you seen this this magnetism thing, right? Yes, I've seen pictures of people yeah so well i don't know but it's a good question here's what we know so i have doctors who are willing to go under oath and say yes we've tested this and there is magnetism we don't know what it means why is it magnetic what does that what's the, what's in there that makes it magnetic now there was this recent thing that just came out a couple of days ago suggesting that is a uh, graphene and maybe that's true. I haven't been able to confirm that. Um, we don't know for sure what it is. But what we know is it's very peculiar because it seems to, to they're always magnetic. Um, some people are more magnetic. Uh, we, don't, we really don't know what's going on with it. Why would this be different in different people? And is I've anybody, are any of the doctors you know, um, are any of them taking these vaccines to a lab and saying, look, could you break this down for me so I can know exactly what's in here? Well, we would love to do that. And we've, here's the problem. So, and I've worked actively on this, the test equipment that you need to properly test all of the different things that they need to do is million, multi-million dollar equipment. 
products and it's controlled basically there's very few places that have this equipment and you know the places that do won't do it or won't do it honestly so we're having a real difficult time um let me just openly tell you if anybody's got the transmission electron microscopes and the different uh, equipment that they need to actually study this please contact me we would love to have a true and honest study done on what is in these vaccines um, because we don't know and we don't know what we've had i'll tell you we have had some very interesting reports i also have healthcare professionals that would would attest under oath that the vaccines aren't always the same so you've heard some of the reports about people being told oh you were given a placenta we need to redo this so what i've gotten reports and again people are willing to go under oath of people who say saying that oh you were given a placebo yes okay not a placenta but a placebo did right. I, i'm sorry did i misspeak yeah yeah so he said oh, you were given a placebo we need to redo this yeah okay. yeah yeah so i've been told by people uh, healthcare professionals who are administrating this you know who would consider going under oath that uh they're seeing that these vaccines are not all the same, right? So even, even if it's, you know, one lot of Pfizer versus the other, some seem, some, I've gotten reports where they're saying that some seem to be thicker and uh, different consistency than others. So this doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would it be different, right? We don't know, but we're seeing these reports. And like I said, it's one thing for you to just say it, it's another thing for people saying, you know, listen, if I have to go under oath with this, I'll do it. So I'd like to know why that's the case. And if that's the case, why are they keeping these under lock and key so much? Why is this not being, you know, why is there no transparency in this anywhere? We lie, we hide the statistics, we hide the, the ingredients, we hide everything. And we give blanket legal immunity to the manufacturers. Why, you know what? Well, well, I mean, before before this, you know, because this is such a short time for this huge thing, I, I think you need to talk about the conflict of interest that exists uh, with the government, not only the government agencies, but the specific people within those agencies. Uh, we can start with Mr. Fauci uh, and the NIH and the Moderna vaccine. Yeah, I mean, you know, so NIH co-owns the Moderna vaccine. The Moderna, you know, is a company that is now somehow worth, last I checked, in the $20 billion vicinity and has zero approved drugs on the market. Can anyone explain that to me? I mean, who's investing $20 billion in a company that doesn't have anything approved? Well, someone seems to think there's something going on there, right? Uh, someone with a lot of money, uh, you know, but but even but just the fact that Fauci is isn't he a patent holder on this uh, vaccine? What's yeah, the NIH co-owns the, the patent on the Moderna vaccine. And, I've got and, a contract. And, and is he also on there as a? He's not on there as an inventor, though, right? Well, I don't recall whether he specifically is on there as an inventor or not. I'd have to double check. Because um, each inventor stands to get like $150,000 annually from sales yeah. of the Moderna vaccine. 
Yeah, well, and they, they've really hidden as much as they can about this. I mean, it, you know, we don't really know who's getting what off of what intellectual property. Um, I'd love to see more information on that specifically, but we do know that they're getting a lot. And we do know that as of going back to the 90s, we passed something called PDUFA, which is the Prescription Drug User Fee Act. And PDUFA basically created a pay to play system. So if you're Pfizer, if you're Moderna, if you want to get your, uh, your drug approved, well, you can go through the process and you might get it in 25 years or you might not, or you can pay a fee to expedite approval and things like that. And if you do that, it'll go through much faster. Well, these pharmaceutical companies have paid an unknown number amount of money to the FDA over the years. Um, and, you know, like there's, there's co-ownership uh, with intellectual property. I mean, this is, the, we see uh, executives from pharma going back and forth. You know, today you work for the CDC, tomorrow you work for pharma, you go back, it's a revolving door. I mean, this is one of the most corrupt, horrid, just- Well, it's deadly, swamps. the worst part about it. You know, I mean, it now it seems like the, you know, stealing resources and money is <laughs> compared to this, where you're basically killing people or allowing people to die, you know, and, and you're setting them up for, you know, all kinds of horrific things like sterilization and and uh, long term long term deleterious effects. I mean, I, the descriptions. By the way, let's just for a second to go back to Moderna, for a company that hasn't had one FDA approved drug, they are now worth uh, twenty five billion dollars. Now, do you suppose? Do you suppose Fauci at all have stock in Moderna? Do I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I know that they co-own the intellectual property on the only thing that's making Moderna any money. And I, you know, I mean, uh, I'm sure they're not. And by the way, remember something else. Fauci sits on the Gates Foundation, one of the, one of the Gates yeah. Foundation boards. Yes. The Gates Foundation owns all sorts of pharmaceutical interests. Right. Uh, they're making money hand over fist. Um, I mean, this whole thing is incestuous. Well, I, I, yeah, I'll send to you very interesting complaint that has been filed by an NGO in India against, I mean, basically they call it, you know, the Gates Foundation, the big tech, big pharma and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation syndicate. I mean, that's, yeah. they really, they lay it all out because the third world countries before they started engaging in this massive global malfeasance, this open face malfeasance, uh, they did their testing and uh, in, in countries like India, vaccine testing in countries like India and Africa and Latin America. I mean, at one point, I think they had a, um, it was a tuberculosis vaccine in, in, in Africa that had a sterilization component to it. Yeah, so, you know, uh, yeah. and so they've been doing that kind of and India has seen them before. Okay, so there is an historical context for the lawsuits that are coming out of these other countries where they've seen these boys before. Yeah, please send that over as soon as you can. I'm very interested. I didn't see that they'd uh, they filed it in India. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah. But, but yeah, so this is what's going on. And uh, I mean. So yeah. what do you what do you think, you know, what do you think your chances are this time in federal court? So we we've we've got a lot of cases out there. Uh, we withdrew one and every other case is still pending. OK, the one that you went through was the uh, Ohio was the Ohio emergency case. OK, and so what ha, is that over now? Are you just letting well, that? So we went through it and we were going to refile it. But before we refiled, we were able to get it refiled. Uh, the governor had lifted the emergency order and then just issued a bunch of lockdown orders. He didn't even call him an emergency. He just said he's going to do it because apparently he's Jesus and can do these sorts of things, at least in his own mind. Um, but so, you know, suing for an emergency when the governor had lifted it temporarily, uh, you know, this, it's, kind of, it's kind of futile. So, uh, yeah, but, but he's even though he's not calling it an emergency, he's still acting upon he's still acting like it's an emergency so is that not actionable well it is it, but it's a different case okay and and you know what we're doing is there's certain there's such a small handful of attorneys that are doing this i mean we have to triage everything we do i, mean, I live in ohio so if there's one place i want to see free it's ohio right. um but you know it is what it is I have to go, we, we on a regular basis talk about which crisis are we going to hit first, because we can't do them all. There's too many. And we, you know, we just aren't at a point where we can. Uh, well, we what about just, your, what about your submission to the FDA? The, which part about the FDA? What about, what about your submission to halt the vaccine vaccination of uh, halt the EU, the emergency use yeah. authorization for vaccinating children? What about that? Where is that? Well, so we, we filed that. Um, we're going to be filing some additional paperwork here very, very soon within uh, not too many more days. And we're going to, uh, we're going to see what happens. Um, have I mean, they responded at all? No, we've got no response yet. Um, you know, we did the TRO first, but we did that as kind of, you know, kind of a warning shot over the bow. And the judge said, I mean, we believed in it very much, but the judge said he wanted uh, to hear the other side. So and the we, TRO is the temporary restraining order. Yes. He wants to hear the other side. How temp how temporary is this restraining order? I mean, how how fast can this restraining order come be considered? I, I mean, isn't there an emergency aspect to that? I mean, isn't can't he can't he compel them to come forward and defend themselves as soon as possible? No, that's not possible. Yeah. So when you file a temporary restraining order, there's a number of ways you can do it. I'm going to try not to get into the legal weeds because people fall asleep. But basically, We'd file the next parte TRO, which means that you want this immediately. We don't care if the other side has time to say anything or not. Judge right. said, no, I want to hear from the other side before I do something this big, which is, re I don't think that's an unreasonable, I disagree. I mean, I would have loved to have had him grant it because I think it was a justified order, but okay, fine. So now what we're doing is you, you refile that TRO as what's called a preliminary injunction. And that's what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to file that. 
and uh, that preliminary injunction will be an expedite on an expedited basis. What I expect will happen is I expect that the government is going to uh, play a procedural game, which we see them do all the yep. time. That's what they do. Just try and slow this down. Now, the question will be whether how quickly we can get through this procedural game. Now, we're going to do it as quick as we can, but you know this is this is a, an issue, right? We we have to go through the proper channels. Can the judge uh, expedite the procedural aspect of it? To an extent, I mean, you know, there's certain things that could, that we may be able to do. I don't know yet. We'll have to see what the state does. There's things that you just don't know. You know, um, I hope so. I hope that this can get done really quickly because we've got too many people that are, you know, they're experimenting on children. This is an experiment. There, there's been no real decent testing on children that should ever qualify to allow this to happen. Nothing about what they've done on children would ever in any normal world uh, qualify as testing that, that would justify authorizing this for children. So, I mean, you got to understand these kids, they're, they're just, you're experimenting on your children and you know god help that little 12 year old girl that you know the family said oh we're going to follow the science we're going to let them do this on our 12 year old because we know it's safe and effective because Fauci says so well now she's in a wheelchair yeah i the, the victim's portion of this thing is is really really hard to read Heartbreaking. let me ask you something you don't mention this word anywhere in in this in your 113 pages but I want to know is it legally speaking, does this rise to the level of being a conspiracy? Oh, I, I absolutely believe that there's a conspiracy, but I do not have. So to allege a conspiracy in a complaint, I have to have a certain amount of evidence to be able to do that. And the reason I haven't alleged it yet was I basically this. Um, I think I've got enough evidence to show a conspiracy on a number of fronts. But I'm hoping as some of these cases progress and as more information becomes available, I'll be able to show it more effectively. So we're gathering more information. We want to get it done well. I mean, there's no question that there's a conspiracy. I mean, we can show all over the place you know, you've got this person working with this person on this project, and they're all making money off of it. I mean, it sounds like a RICO claim. It sounds like a, a conspiracy claim. It sounds like a whole bunch of things. But we've got to make sure that our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed, because, uh, you know, you know, right back. I, I actually spoke to a RICO, uh, a. a lawyer who is a RICO um, expert. And he said something that was quite surprising to me. And we're going back and forth still. So, you know, I, I don't have a final answer for him. But he says, you don't have a RICO case unless uh, there's money in, he put it, I can't remember what he said, but he basically said this COVID, it, what you're calling a conspiracy, it, it, is, it is not a RICO case. It is not a RICO case because there are, I can't remember, it had something to do with RICO only looks at, you know, money that's uh, made. In, in, in relation to a corrupt organization. Right, right, right. Okay, so 
you're you're right and he's right and this is a very very hard rico case to make because they've covered it up very well and you have to show certain things so that's why there's no case right now i haven't filed it because i don't know i mean i think it's happening I'm in not... other words you have all the players but you don't know how they're making their money off of this is that what i you need to have enough information there's some blanks that got to be filled in before i can file that case but but is that the point is you have to show that they're making money this is this is what blew my mind about the limitations of the rico case because i thought wow that is the paucity of some kind of a conspiracy law that addresses not necessarily it can also how much money you're making um i'm sorry uh that not only addresses how much money you're making but how many deaths you're causing how much economic devastation you're causing i mean i'm shocked you can't have a rico case based on cause a deaths you know and and uh economic devastation that to me that that has blown my mind and i haven't yet responded to this guy about that but yeah that's what i'm looking at and i'm thinking that makes no sense yeah well you got to remember when they passed rico that yeah rico was it was for mafia it was, it was for the mafia yeah so i mean when they they wrote it they if you look it's interesting to sue the government for fraud or corruption is very difficult you know they've done everything they can you know they can break any law they want because they're yep. the government right yep, yep. If, if you did the if private business did what the government's done on this that private business would have been long gone I mean, even look at what the the well private business is. It now works with government doing this kind right. of stuff. So, you know, well, again, once you're too big to fail, you become too big to jail. And yeah. you know, all these companies that are in cahoots here are all too big to jail. Yeah. Okay. Well, the the rules apply to he, not we. Exactly. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're we're out of time, but um, obviously we're gonna stay on top of this. Uh, any new developments, please let me know because uh, I wanna have you right back on here to tell people what they what's next. Well, thank you very much, Christina. I look forward to coming back. Yeah.